don't know about you, but I know a lot of people are having a huge crisis of trust in the medical industry uh, from personal experiences all the way through to some mass events that have happened. People don't know where to turn anymore. So I say, why don't we start turning to medical intuitives? I mean, if there's ever a time when their time has come to shine, it's right now. Uh, this is a perfect time in history to be talking to a really fabulous medical intuitive author and trainer of people in the medical profession. So without further ado, let's go to Wendy. Wendy, welcome. Hi, Regina. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, I'd like to find out. Let, let's start so that people can get to know you a little bit. Um, everybody in this audience has heard of medical intuition. Some people have used medical intuitives, um, but a lot of people have not really given a lot of thought to all the ways in which medical intuitives can fill in the places that medicine can't. And we're talking about undiagnosable uh, diseases that it seems a huge percentage of the population are coming up with. And in addition to that, even more vulnerable people who can't speak for themselves and everything in between. So let's start with your story. How did you originally decide to go into medical intuition? Because I know you were also doing energy healing and often People that have one set of skills have the other. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about your personal story. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, is, you know, sort of starting from when I became um, an energy healer is a good place to start. I mean, if we go all the way back, I was an intuitive child like many, many people are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of learned to develop my intuition naturally over time in various ways. And, you know, not too surprisingly, later in life, I was attracted to energy work um, because it really does include the intuitive skill set. Uh, and I found that in my energy work, I was able to see into the physiology and the anatomy of the body as I was doing my work. And I was getting really powerful, um, you could call them hits, I guess, you know, of information. One thing I noticed, Regina, was that sometimes my clients would um, really have great release experiences and they'd, they'd come in for a healing and they'd leave feeling very uh, shifted and, you know, able to release things. And sometimes they couldn't. And sometimes issues would stick around and it was challenging for them. And I was curious to know why that was happening, right? Why is someone healing and someone else not healing? I'm using my skills the very same way. Uh, so I began noticing that the depth of information in these, these intuitive, you know, hits or downloads or whatever, whatever you want to call it was really powerful. And I wondered if there was something in that information that I could parse out for them that might make a difference in whether or not they could heal. So I began developing what I call a medical intuitive assessment, which is not a healing session. It's actually a, a, a scan or a review of both the physical body and physiology issues, as well as life history and emotional, mental, spiritual issues, and impart that information and what would happen, right? <laughs> you know, could that be useful for people? And I found that that information was in many ways, uh, actually in, in many very significant ways, more important than the healing itself, the healing work that I was doing itself, that that information gave them essentially a roadmap to health and wellness that they were not getting from their medical doctors, from even from their complementary alternative doctors or, or practitioners, that the medical intuitive assessment really was unique in that. And that's how, what I 
that's where I began creating this idea of medical intuition as an assessment, evaluation, a standalone process. And the more I did that work, the more I understood that it was a foundational skill, not a modality, but a foundational skill that could be applied to any modality. And that was exciting when I kind of realized that. And that's where I began thinking, you know, I really need to teach people in the healthcare field how to do this because it can beautifully uh, support conventional as well Absolutely. as complementary. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, um, years ago, I was having a problem. Uh, I'd been a vegetarian nearly 20 years, and I was having a lot of problems uh, with my body at the time. And it was like everything was sort of shut, all my digestion, everything was shutting down. So I drive by a sizzler, sizzler, cheap meat, you know, billboard, and I'd start salivating. I thought, oh, God, what's going on? I, I was so embarrassed, you know. And so anyway, I finally had a meditation one morning. And I'm just bringing this up because this is where medicine intersected with it. I had a meditation. I saw that morning, you have to begin eating red meat. And I thought, no, I refuse. I won't do it. I will go to Dr. Bernard McGinnity, who was a well-known intuitive medical doctor in our city. And so I went to him and had a little checkup. He only told certain people about his ability to see. He said, what I'm being shown right now is you're going to need to eat some steaks three times a week for the next few weeks to get start getting going again. And I thought, oh, rats, he's seeing it too. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first experience with an MD who had this quality already developed, but they had learned how to develop their intuition, incredibly valuable, and it was the right ticket. So let's talk about you train doctors and nurses and ordinary people who have talents in this area or would like to. And also, you in your book, you talk about some of the institutions that have begun embracing this. And that's what's exciting to me is there actually is some headway being made. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there in mainstream medicine intersecting with this. Oh, that's such a great question. Thank you. <laughs> and what a great story. Uh, and, you know, I have, I could talk for hours about, you know, what you, what you described in terms of what the body is asking for and what our own minds think is right. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's quite a big split there. But, um, the, uh, I'm very, very honored to have, um, presented and to be a presenter, a contributing, uh, educator for the Academy for Integrative Health and Medicine. Uh, I'm for the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. They have a program for fourth-year medical students and residents, which I've taught at. Um, I've spoken at the University of Denver's uh, Anschutz Medical Library uh, in their lecture series. So more and more, uh, we're finding uh, integrative and functional medicine uh, physicians and, and organizations are interested in what this whole idea of developing intuition means and how it can be applied in healthcare. That's really the key there. Absolutely. Um, so now looking at um, how some of these doctors have embraced it, I know you have some stories in your book. Uh, I read the book and um, just some really deeply grateful and appreciative stories from doctors who took it upon themselves to learn how to do this and how much more they can help their clients now be when normal diagnostics simply fail and they fail a lot 
you know, they fail a lot, especially in these ubiquitous chronic diseases that seem seem to be everywhere. So I like stats. So I'm going to read a couple here that you talk about in your book. Okay. This one I loved. This you um you had a study of 67 clients and you had five practitioners that were working with these clients, as I understand it. And you can go ahead and get the numbers or I can, but it was astounding the, the, the percentage of accuracy they had in these cases, which they knew nothing about. Why don't you go ahead and take it, take it away? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I love stats, too. <laughs> I wish we had more. Um, so this was a, a study that was done um, with, uh, in San Diego with some of my colleagues down there uh, where we wanted to know the accuracy. But here's the thing. I want to back up a little, Regina, if you don't mind, to say there is not a lot of research done on medical intuition. In fact, when I went to look and research for the book, I, I found maybe a handful of studies. Right. There, there have been, you know, over the years, there have been a lot of anecdotal stories. I mean, thousands of those, but not a lot of hard data. And all of it you know, pretty much inconclusive uh, or promising, which is a really good thing. We want to see promising, you know, information. I, I, when I looked at that some years ago, I thought, you know, my graduates of my program are nailing it. You know, we're getting, they, they fill out case reports. We do a lot of practicum hours and we see that anecdotally, you know, we're hitting our marks. So what does that mean? Can we, can we quantify this? And so this little study was designed to just see what we could see. And what we found was, um, I'll give you a little background on it since I know you like the research. Our, the, there were five medical intuitive graduates of the program. There were 67 practice cl uh, clients, actually participants from the community. Some of them were actually from UCSD Medical Center. Now, we didn't have access to their medical records, which is, you know, what we want to continue forward with research on. <laughs> but uh, we, we, did the, the study in the most blinded way we could. In other words, we don't do a health intake. We don't know what anybody comes in with. The medical intuitives have their eyes closed, you know, so we don't have, you know, visual cues or anything like that. What we found was uh, that the participants rated the medical intuitives as 94% accurate in the evaluation uh, and um, location of their primary health issue. That's and that, amazing. That's a fabulous number. Uh, the doctors look at that and say, we don't even get that. <laughs> you know? uh, we also had a 98% accuracy in the uh, description of life history that uh, could correlate with uh, the health issue. And that's really phenomenal because we want to know not just what's going on in the body, but why is why is it going on in the body? Is there anything in history that could have led to this? And we can we can talk about that even more in depth if you like. Um, we also had a really fabulous stat uh, piece of data. We asked the participants how many had a known medical diagnosis, how many had heard from their doctor, this is what mm -hmm. you have. And of that group, which was about half of them, uh, how consistent was the medical intuitive in describing, you know, in correlating that diagnosis? In other words, describing it in such a way that they recognize the diagnosis, right? How consistent were they? And we got a 94% consistency. That's with amazing. That. Yeah, there were a lot of other stats in there that I wrote about in the book that were just as wonderful and exciting. And uh, all of this uh, led us to 
uh, having it be published in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, which is a peer-reviewed medical journal. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and we're very proud of that because that represents the first known published data on medical intuition in, in about 20, 20 to 25 years. You know, just there it is. So we're going to build on that. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So, I mean, that I wanted you to share that because I was astounded when I read those stats myself. That's beyond what I would have expected to see. Um, so this audience is super savvy. Um, people understand they've heard of medical intuition. Some people do it themselves uh, privately or a, even as a profession. Um, and one of the things I'd like from you, because you also train people, so you see a lot of what's going on, even with your own clients, is what you're seeing now, because the world has shifted so dramatically over the last two to three years um, with both COVID, whether we, we have receive whether we've been exposed to it naturally or have vaccines we've got this little spike protein roaming around in the body and doing all sorts of things that seem to be really almost incalculable in the number of types of symptoms people have ended up with afterward but also the isolation and depression um the uh kind of angst even splitting apart of families and such that have occurred what are you seeing now in terms of the what kinds of new conditions or more common conditions are you seeing than you saw before all of this? Oh my goodness. Um, respiratory and gut health are the two main things, but also nervous system, um, endocrine. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it kind of, when you start to look at the body this way, you see the interactions and the connections. And so, you know, it's not that you know, people are just having fatigue and long-term COVID, they call it, you know, with a myriad of issues, cardiovascular issues and on and on and on. But also the connections that the body makes that medical intuitives are trained to see. That's the difference between conventional medicine or even established complementary practices or alternative practices because everybody's looking through their own lens. Right. And when you look through your own lens, you're going to miss the bigger picture. Medical intuition is designed to look at that 360, you know, this this system is connected to that system is connected to the other. And that's what makes it so valuable in terms of how to help people with these issues that are pretty rampant right now. I can tell you that most people that come through my practice have some kind of digestive issue going on. That's interesting. Now, that's not what you'd throw into the normal um, kind of top four symptoms of COVID, but I've been hearing this from a lot of people. I myself have had these issues. What's going on? Why digestive issues after all of this? Well, I think digestive issues have been going on forever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's just now. I, I do believe that, you know, stress is a big part of it. We live in an incredibly stressful time and it's just doesn't seem to be letting up. And that is a, you know, if you relate it to the chakra system, that's a third chakra issue, a second chakra issue, emotions and self-expression. There's a lot of fear. Um, and so when we talk about this, there's really no one 
way to say, well, it's got to be this yeah. or it's got to be that because everybody's body assimilates things differently. Everybody's mind and spirit assimilates things differently. Right, But you just said a lot of it right there. Um, the preponderance of fear and anxiety and emotions tied into the third chakra. There you are. Um, and so it seems that each person is being affected perhaps slightly differently, but that is ubiquitous. Those feelings have been ubiquitous globally, right? Well, you add in, you know, climate issues and, you know, financial. I mean, the whole thing. We are living in interesting times, yes. Regina. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, that really speaks to the fact that we have an obligation. We, if you think about it that way, we have an opportunity. Let's say, let's, let's, let's frame it that way to develop, um, a really powerful mind-body connection, intuitive mind-body connection. Everybody talks about that, but I got to ask, you know, well, what does that mean to you? <laughs> you know? That means that, you know, if I'm tired, I go take a nap. Well, that's good. Well, how about what your, what your small intestine wants to tell you? You know, what about what your liver has to say, you know, having to do with toxicity levels? Right. How about you know, what your shoulder wants you to know, you know, etc. So there's a lot of ways to approach this that use the intuitive mind-body connection that can be very, very helpful uh, for people just to mitigate stress, just to understand what's happening. Right. Uh, that understanding is it speaks volumes. Um, one of my favorite quotes I'll throw in here is by Dr. Dean Ornish. And his quote is, awareness is the first step in healing. I love that. That is the so motto. simple and so true. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. So because we're on the subject of, as you said, digestion issues being ubiquitous now, um, and they have been for a long time, I know, but perhaps even more so, it reminds me of a story in your book about a man named Robert. And I thought it would be good. We're not going to go into a lot of anecdotes because there are tens of thousands of them. <laughs> we don't have time. But let's do this one because it really takes it back through the layers of the being and throughout their lifetime. So if you just kind of encapsulate the story of Robert and his digestive issues and what you learned in sessions with him. Yeah, he he was wonderful. Um Robert uh was successful gentleman, you know, in his late 30s or early 40s and he was having a uh, a lot of trouble. In fact, the kind of digestive issues that doctors couldn't get a handle on. And um he didn't know what to do. He came to me for a session and the interesting thing about this story is not just what I saw for his body physically for digestive recommendations, because that was there. That's always there as part of medical intuition is we ask the body what it wants. It tells, shows us or tells us or gives us that information. And that's what we impart to the client. But where the issue came from for him was multifaceted, that life history piece, mm -hmm. which is so fascinating to look at because we don't necessarily correlate that in our minds. So what I saw for him was um, for the origin of these issues for him in the present moment is that he was very, very close with his mother uh, and his mother had recently died and she was in a foreign country when she died. And um, he was also experiencing some stress from work issues that projects that he was going on. So that was the present moment. When I looked into life history, I saw 
that uh, at age nine, there was um, an incident from school. And that was something that he might have never even thought about again. But it was an incident where he was um, uh, feeling very alone and uh, very scared. And he was supposed to go on a trip with his classmates. And uh, his, his stomach was acting up because there was a lot of stress there. And he was basically told uh, to rep- he was feeling like he should suppress his emotions, right? He couldn't feel what he was feeling. He would be embarrassed. His teachers might yell at him, you know, whatever was happening. And in that moment, he made an, un- you know, what became an unconscious kind of subconscious drive to man up. You know, that was the, that was the message. Yeah, he was gave just him. a little guy. He was nine years old, little kid. You man up. You can't talk about how you're afraid. He needed to run to the bathroom. His stomach was just bothering him. That was a very pivotal moment in his life because he made a conscious, aware idea kind of established itself. And that idea was that you don't talk about your emotions, you don't express your feelings, you you keep it quiet. The, the, uh, the next issue I saw, the next life experience I saw for him was he was three years old and his mother had come down with a you know, like a flu or something, but she had to be isolated from him. And that was the first time in his young life he'd ever been isolated from mother. And it was it was devastating for him. She was isolated for like three weeks or something. It was a heavy flu. Uh, this was in an, you know, in a foreign country. And um he he just had this idea that, you know, he was being abandoned. <laughs> and that abandonment caused another, I would say, unconscious or subconscious idea that established itself in his energy that, um, you know, he was going to be abandoned or separated from somebody that he had no control over it. This was really powerful for him in his life. Now, again, as adults, we think about, well, sure, you know, maybe my mother got sick and she was, you know, separated from me for three weeks. It probably didn't affect me at all. You know, she was back. (laughs) But really what happens is we have these moments in life that in the present moment get triggered by these early life experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening for Robert. Let me put the pieces together. In the present moment, when his mother died uh, recently, um, he experienced, he started experiencing gut dysbiosis. That's when it began. And yes, stress and yes, grief. But what about this life history that was also driving the the show here? He was not in the same place with his mother and he felt he had to be stoic and continue forward in life no matter what from that nine-year-old experience. And three. And and three-year-old experience. All of that together caused this really intense in the moment um, gut imbalance that was, you know, unsolvable to medical health. Now, you think, well, okay, well, now that we know all this, what do we do with all this? Well, Robert's body had a lot of suggestions on how to adjust and, you know, try different things, things he hadn't considered. Um, and just hearing that validation of his own the origin of his issues, the trajectory of it was so powerful for him. When we reconnected, he said that was the key in the lock that turned the, that opened the door to healing. Cause he'd been suffering this with this for quite a while. Uh, he said that 
allowed me to start thinking about my health in a different way, to start thinking about my emotions in a different way. Maybe I shouldn't be so stoic. Maybe I shouldn't be repressing them. Maybe I need to grieve more. And he really began to take hold of his health. And because of that, it just was a really wonderful story to include uh, because it had such an impact in his life. Right. That's that's a wonderful story. You have several in there. And I'm thinking about the medical industry itself in that, um, as it says in the book, um, even doctors say we overprescribe, we we send out for too many tests, and it's all for liability purposes. Everybody's trying to save their butt. And it's at the expense of the consumer. So, or the patient, but we're really considered more consumers than patients, I think, in a lot of these larger situations, HMOs and such. And so, here you have medical error as the third to fourth um, largest contributor to death in the United States, medical error. And this is an area, to me, it seems absolutely critical to have medical intuitives involved in. And you do have one story in there um, very briefly about a young girl who was having a little shard of something trying to move out. It turned out it was kidney stones, massive amount of pain. They couldn't find it. You saw it. She finally, when she was on opioids and everything, because they didn't get it, finally they got it after your reading. She went in, they corrected it, but she was hooked on opioids and died of an overdose. How sad is that? Oh, it's tragic. And I would imagine this kind of thing happens frequently. <laughs> um, yeah. As you mentioned, the stats on medical error are shocking. Um, the stats on the, the, the brokenness and the inefficiency or whatever uh, for, for physicians and for patients, uh, you know, just, it, it's just the numbers are just ridiculous. And when a medical intuitive who knows what the value is looks at that, our, our feeling is this is just so unnecessary. It, it, totally. it shouldn't be happening. And how do we shift that paradigm is the question. Yes. And, how do yeah. we shift it? I mean, <laughs> okay, that's a bigger question. We might have to do another show on how we shift it, but I know you have some ideas and it's somewhat moving the right direction. Let's talk about some of those diseases that are often overlooked or misdiagnosed that are really common. Um, Lyme disease is a big one. Uh, fibromyalgia is a big one. Leaky gut. So many people suffering from leaky gut and the medical industry really doesn't even test for that. So mm -hmm. Can we talk about that that for a moment? Just these ubiquitous chronic diseases that are popping up that they don't see they seem to miss. They, it goes, it's not on their radar in the medical um, toolbox. Yeah, it's it's endemic. Um, the you know I can give you a couple of answers for that. The the probably the biggest picture answer for that is. Uh, conventional medicine, uh, I want to say around the turn of the century, uh, 1900, uh, took a very mechanistic view. They really switched from the idea of um, what was used to be the old-fashioned word, it used to be called vitalism, meaning energy in the body of some kind. And it was really uh, yeah. based uh, so much in, I don't know if it was based in Eastern thought, but it was similar to Eastern thought, chi, prana, you know, what health actually is, uh, how energy moves in the body, is there some non-physical element, all that sort of thing. And that was wonderful. And it actually really informed medicine for a long time. And uh, what happened in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s with the development of the scientific method. Now, I don't have a problem with that. Um, that was established all the way along. 
but it was decided that the scientific method was the only method, meaning empirical data had to be shown. And, you know, I'm, I'm also a fan of data like you, and I think we need more studies, but they need to be d- devised in such a way that we can take into account the energetic. And that's a big part of the discussion right now with the rise of biofield practices, with the yeah. rise of intuition, the idea of intuition and how it can be used. We need studies that can allow this to be, um, defined and quantified in a way that makes sense to the practice. <laughs> it's a challenge, but, um, to get back to your question, which of course now I've gotten off track oh, with, so sorry. My question had had to do um, with the fact that these are these kind of ubiquitous things. There's no means for them to diagnose it in the yes. medical industry. How else are we going to do it other than medical intuition, whether it be at our own or someone else's? How yes. else? Well, I agree with you. And I will also underscore that medical intuitives, unless they're licensed to diagnose, do not and should not diagnose or prescribe or or prognose. What we do is we impart information. My client then takes that to their doctors. And one of the goals we have here is to inform their physicians about how this information was gathered. Now, some people are more comfortable talking about it with their doctors, but I can tell you there are very few medical intuitives that haven't gotten referrals from doctors. I, from the very beginning, I was getting referrals and calls from doctors. We, uh, a group of medical intuitives have now established, myself included, an organization, a national organization, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But one of the things we wanted to know and the surveys we sent out initially was how many medical intuitives work with licensed healthcare practitioners. How many medical intuitives are referred by licensed healthcare practitioners? Here's what we found, Regina. 82% of the medical intuitives we surveyed, which were all professional self-identified medical intuitives, said that they assist, directly assist, um, licensed healthcare providers with medical intuition. Mm -hmm. That is an astounding number that nobody has ever seen before. We also found that 86% of self-identified medical intuitives that we surveyed receive referrals for medical intuition for their patients and clients. And that didn't surprise me at all because that's very common, but that data has gone unnoticed. It actually has never been gathered that I'm aware of. And we, we have just, um, we submitted a paper on it to a medical journal. Uh, we're writing about it. We have a website established, if you don't mind me talking about that. Yeah, please do. No, yeah. go ahead and talk about it. Um, so there's now a place where medical intuitives can gather. Yes. It's the organization is called the National Organization for Medical Intuition, NOMI. <laughs> and the website is NOMI, NOMI Medical Intuition.org. And we encourage medical intuitives to go take a look. Uh, we, we just launched it uh, less than two weeks ago, I think. And uh, we'll be opening membership very soon, but get on our mailing list because we want to develop a strong community of professional medical intuitives. We want the healthcare industry to understand the value. We want to outreach. We want to develop avenues. So please do join us for that. I love that. Let's um, let's go on to another group that has been underserved um, only because of their own vulnerability. And that is the notion of, uh, for example, children, babies, people with dementia, people who have conditions and pain going on, and you can you can noticeably tell they're in pain, but they can't tell you what's going on. They can't explain it. Can you talk about that for a moment? Because it seems like 
if you have a young family, that's a good time to have a medical intuitive on board to be able to speak um, on behalf of the little kids and maybe share a story or just tell us your thoughts on that. Uh, my thoughts on that are many. Um, I do work a lot with parents of, of minors, you know, children. And that's really important because, yeah, kids don't necessarily know how to describe what's going on for them. Um, I also have um, uh, students, graduates of the program who are working with autistic children, uh, with the parents of autistic kids. This is a whole field that really should be established because. Yes, they, I was just going to ask you about that. Tell us about what they're finding. Uh, they're able to connect uh, intuitively with the autistic child. And the, the uh, first of all, I've encouraged all of my students, just document everything, please, you know, <laughs> because we need to have data about this. And if the parents are willing, obviously. Right. And, um, <clears throat> um, and if the child is a minor or, you know, whatever. But we're severely autistic children, you know. Uh, and that data is... Uh, what we're hearing is just phenomenal about the consciousness and awareness of the young person that the, <clears throat> the expression of words or whatever is what's being hindered, but the consciousness is not. <laughs> yes. So it's pretty fascinating. Um, well, also, you go ahead, continue. I was going to say animals is a great example of, you know, sort of nonverbal, uh, communication that yes. can happen with medical intuitives. I, I work with animals. A lot of my students do. Many medical intuitives do. It's the same process. It uh, is. Yeah. In fact, that was my other experience with a, a professional medical intuitive who focused on animals. And she, it, my little dog was 15 years old. And she said, she just wants you to know that she's getting ready to depart. She didn't, it didn't seem as though anything was wrong. She wants you to know to prepare yourself. She's had a really good life. She wants to eat steak and blueberries, and she is going to go in a very simple way that won't won't drag out. And I thought, oh, I'm not ready. And sure enough, it happened just like that. Had an asthmatic attack a few months later. Loved the steak and blueberries, and she she was gone in a very short period of time. Just some distress with her breathing. It was she nailed it. It was right on, and it gave me time to really think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely, and. Um, Animals, <laughs> animals are, are a lot more open. They, they, they just have less <laughs> going on in their less energy. Baggage. <laughs> <laughs> you could say. Um, but there is a lot of value in mean, what you're, what you're bringing up, Regina, is a really important point. And that is the applications of medical intuition in hospice care, in, uh, yes. you know, with children, with animals, with uh, people who are incapacitated in some way. But what about in research, right? We yes. have medical intuitives who are actively working in research where they are using their intuitive skills to develop, help develop all kinds of things, right? I mean, the applications yeah. are really quite profound when you think about it. They really are. Now, one thing I want to get in um, is in your book, you have a couple chapters on being able to kind of self-test to identify if you have some of the natural traits that would really um, help you in your journey to becoming a medical intuitive, if that's something someone chooses to do, either privately for themselves, their families, or even or professionally. So that's in the book. And also how to do your own medical intuitive processes and go through your body. And I, I loved I loved your exercises where you go through and you talk to each part of your body and you say hello and you thank it for doing what it's doing. It's really 
really a very sweet process. So those chapters are are in the book as well. One of the things that we look at here is the clairs, you know, and each of us has probably a different one of the clairs, clairvoyant, clairsentient, etc., that we have going for us. Most people are naturally intuitive. So maybe just are you mostly clairvoyant or do you have a few of the clairs going and just go through what the clairs are really quickly so people can start seeing themselves in the story? Oh, sure. Of course. This is really an important part of the discussion. Yeah. What is intuition, right? What yeah. does it consist of? Well, there are many, many clairs. Uh, the four that I consider probably the most prominent in human experience is claircognizance, which means clear knowing that I know what I know. I don't know how I know it. I might not have any evidence for it, but I know it, right? That's important. We call those hunches, mother's intuition, women's intuition which just means men can't do it, which is not true at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also clairsentience, uh, which means clear feeling. And that means feeling the physical or emotional information of other people. And a lot of healthcare workers are very clairsentient, meaning empathic. So they kind of soak in <laughs> everybody's yeah. material. It can be quite yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, clairaudience means clear hearing. Uh, that is a really interesting skill. Uh, hearing information without the use of your physical ears. People call that what? Inner guidance, inner wisdom, that still small voice you hear in prayer meditation. We actually have an understanding of what that means. Uh, the clair that I use and that I teach most to do what I do is clairvoyance, which means clear seeing. And that word is loaded, Regina. I mean, that word has so much stigma attached to it. It's ridiculous, yes, but... Yes. All it means is that I can get a visual look at the body and the biofield and the history of uh, life history. And that's really useful to see all the detail there. Um, that's excellent. And I'm, I'm um, personally, I use a little bit of a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I've had some fun just kind of playing with uh, looking inside people's bodies a bit. And it's really absolutely fascinating the ways in which the information comes. Nothing to the degree that you do, because you see into minute detail. But I, what I'm saying is, I think most anybody can do this if they decide this is something they're absolutely fascinated with and wish to do, wouldn't you say? You know, yes. And I'll tell you why. Um, intuition is hardwired into humans. We have it. We're born with it. Everybody's born with it. Whether or not it's um, thwarted or discouraged in life when you're young makes a big difference about your thoughts on whether or not you can develop it. Um, But anyone can develop their intuition of any kind, you know, as they choose. How I think about this is that If you wanted to do something you've never done before and you're not sure you can do it, like speak a new language, for example, or learn to play an instrument that you've never played before, what is what people normally do? They normally say, well, I'm going to put myself in an educational environment. I'm going to learn from a good instructor. I'm going to practice, practice, practice. And, you know, I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to be able to do what I want to do, right? Speak Italian or something. We don't think about intuition that way because it's so stigmatized uh, in our societies because there's so much superstition and misconception about it. But that is literally the way we learn, right? That's a learning environment. So can we learn it? Of course we can learn it. Can anyone do it? Yes, if they choose to develop it. Um, in my programs, just to make a distinction, uh, the main programs, the, the medical intuitive training is for wellness professionals, because my feeling is this is where it belongs, ethically and responsibly and with the most effectiveness, um, teach those folks who are already in that field or who want to be in that field 
for every all of the rest, everybody else, uh, we need to establish that mind-body connection for ourselves. So we're not second-guessing ourselves so that we're getting good, clear information from our own bio biofields and bodies uh, so that we can impart that to our healthcare professional and say, you know, I think it's this, or why don't we look at that? My liver said this. <laughs> My big toe wants that. You know, these are great tools to have to take charge of your own health and wellness. And for that, I, there are many tools for that. The book has resources. The website has guided meditations. And I teach a workshop called Medical Intuition for Healing. And that is where you learn how to establish that connection. So I would like to find out now, how do you see the future of all of this? How do you see this playing out? What's it going to take before the conversation we're having right now becomes an everyday reality where every, every family, every person can work with a medical intuitive and have the doctor open and receptive and the system itself open and receptive to that? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, crystal ball time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're working towards that. That's that's the key is that we're working towards that. And um, that's what we want. That's what Nomi wants. That's what I want personally as a medical intuitive. Uh, we want it to be accessible to all members of the public. We want the medical field to acknowledge it, to be really upfront. We want medical intuitives as um, members of the healthcare team. That's what we want. And Absolutely. what was exciting about writing the book in terms of the future is that I was able to interview uh, several doctors who work directly with medical intuitives, how they do it. So we have a model now, you know, and, and what that means for them. Um, we also, I also interviewed wonderful people who are, have been at the forefront of this field for decades. Uh, Dr. Larry Dossie, Dr. Dr. Gladys McGarry. These people are, are pioneers. And all of them say without the intuitive element, without medical intuition, uh, uh, medicine will never advance. That's their I opinion. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I would agree also. And so now what we need is a way forward. So Nomi and myself and other colleagues were looking for that. We know that there are doctors and physicians, I should say, who are interested. We know this. Uh, one thing that's happening is a study uh, that I'm working on to bring doctors and medical intuitives together with the patient, uh, which is one of the models that's shown in the book. And we want to see how that works. So we're trying to get a sense of how this will actually work in real time, right? So that people know that they have an option. They can ask their doctor, hey, let's bring in the medical intuitive, or the doctor can say, let's do that now. Or the doctor is yeah. a medical intuitive and can talk about it openly, uh, you know, and there are many out there that would like to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I see this as at this time in history, I don't think there's been a better time. Um because again, because of the failure of the mechanistic way of viewing the body in the past and the desire on the part of everyone to do better, including most of the people in the medical industry, I don't think it's been, there's a better time to really uh, consider it if you're if you're a person who is kind of compassionate by nature, sensitive and intuitive by nature as a career path. I mean, gosh, seems to me that should be way at the top of the list of what's needed in the world. But then I'm putting my own prejudices in all this. Because, <laughs> well, that's I'm, what I I'm, see as being needed. It's, it's the same with piecing together our deep history uh, as humans. We're getting it through 
interesting uh, findings by astronomers, archaeoastronomers, um, archaeologists, and intuitives who are going into the past. And by working together, we can start seeing who we are as a species. Well, definitely the same thing applies to the human body. Oh, so, without question. Without question. Yeah. Wendy, this has been absolutely wonderful. I'm just, I, I'm so supportive of what you do and everybody that does this. And any final thoughts before we sign off? Anything we haven't gotten to? No, I think we've covered it, but <laughs> uh, people can always go to the website at thepracticalpath.com. There's tons of information uh, about the study, about uh, you know what medical intuition is, how you can find out more, and uh, you can always reach me uh, through contact, yes. uh, the contact form or anyway, happy to answer any questions. I still do see clients, so I'm happy to take that as well. We're available. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that because um, I am planning on going to your portal because I want to do, I want to develop a relationship with you or one of the people you've trained myself. It's been a long time and I feel everything I've said, I personally believe it's time that we start having these relationships as regular relationships, not just something you do once in a while. So anyway, I'm going to your portal to sign up. So <laughs> you're going to have a nice challenge with me, Wendy. <laughs> I look forward to it, Regina. And I really appreciate your uh, your kind words about the book. You know, it was designed for not only the medical establishment, but also everyday folks who to learn about this skill, to to learn more about it and find out what it can offer. Yes, absolutely. So everybody, thank you again, Wendy, and everybody, uh, you can go to thepracticalpath.com, learn about all of it, pick up a copy of the book, uh, everything that Wendy just talked about a moment ago. And uh, I wish you good luck on your journey with medical intuition. I'll be there with you. So until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, and you might also want to consider joining Patreon, which allows me to keep all of this content free and available to everyone. And if you're looking for like-minded souls, you might also enjoy my online community called Our Neighborhood. Links to join are in the description.